This is episode 165 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Casey Quinn Daly. Casey is an SLP located in the Raleigh, North Carolina region. She received her MSED in CSD from the College of St. Rose and has been a practicing clinician for the past five years. She wears many hats as an SLP that include teaching at her alma mater, as well as fulfilling the role of community manager in the MedSLP Collective. Casey has worked with the adult population within the skilled nursing, acute care, inpatient rehab, and outpatient settings. Over the past two years, Casey has shifted her focus towards medically complex pediatric patients, gaining experience working with this population in the skilled nursing and outpatient settings. Casey will continue her journey with pediatric patients through a part-time hospital outpatient position in North Carolina. In 2021, she will also shift her focus to the creation of her private practice that aligns multidisciplinary collaboration with holistic assessment and treatment of children with pediatric feeding disorders. to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner, and founder of the MedSLP Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is to help ditch the old-school ways of the past that no longer serve you or your patients, to reinvigorate your passion for our field, to broaden your knowledge about our scope of practice, and to inspire you to practice at the top of your license. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride, be open and willing to learn, because let's face it, your patients deserve that kind of care. With that, let's dive right in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Casey. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Tell the people who you are. Hi, my name is Casey Quindaley, and I've been a speech therapist for five years now. It's actually really hard to believe. (laughs) I actually recently just moved to North Carolina, um, which was a big goal for my husband and I. So I will be starting a new position part-time in an outpatient uh, hospital role. Well, I also focus on private practice, which is a goal that I've had for a while now. My background varies, I guess. I, I guess I've had a really great um, variety of experiences. I started in skilled nursing for the first eight months of my CF <laughs> and finished up my last month in a hospital, which I remained in for two and a half years. I loved acute care. I predominantly worked with the adult population in in acute inpatient rehab, and then also outpatient. And towards the end of my time in the hospital, I actually started getting some pediatric clients um, for outpatient. And I think that's where I started that that kind of planted the seed for my end goal now, which is I'm kind of just transitioning into a full pediatric uh, speech role, which is a little bit scary. (laughs) Yes. Well, and, and I love this. I love this topic. And I think what's interesting is that you know, what people don't know is this was not the topic we were planned to talk about. And Casey came to me and was like, to be honest, like my life is changing now and I'm more passionate about this topic. And we talk about this and yes, I love that. But I think what's so unique about this is usually we get SLPs that are, that are transitioning into working with adults in acute care. And I love that you're doing the opposite. So it is the beauty of our field. And I think it's what 2020, you know, has shown people is that 
everything can change at any minute, you know, and, and it's, you don't have to be stuck doing something. And, and I don't know if stuck is the right word, but you don't have to be doing something that you think you should be doing because you think you should be doing it or people think you should be doing it. It's, this is your job. It's your life and you can do whatever you want with it. So. Yeah. Um, to jump off that, I think that this year, and I, I say hindsight is 2020 and you know, this is, this year has opened my eyes completely to doing what I want to do, regardless of what, you know, society tells us is typical or even, you know, in grad school, I feel like we never really talked about the different, different settings or not even settings, but schedules you could set up for yourself. So of course there's skilled nursing, there's acute care, there's private practice, but I never thought that I would love doing three different jobs and it works for me. And I don't think I could go back to that nine to five, like mentality. I don't think I was built for that. And the one thing that I remember, like as soon as I graduated, okay, I need to get a job. I need to get a job. I need a full-time job. I need a full-time job where, you know, I kind of pigeonholed myself a little bit where, you know, I understand student loans and all of those other things and we have to pay our bills but in speaking to students that I teach now I tell them don't rush into a position really sit with it uh if it's not something that's you know your real your heart's in in it don't don't settle give yourself a little bit of time you know um and I think that maybe that's why CF experiences might not be the best sometimes because we're just ready to do that next thing and we're not really sitting with what we want and where we want to go yeah i love it all right so all right so where should we start where should we go from here i can give you a little bit of background in terms of so i mentioned that planting the seed was like the the last maybe year of my my um time in the hospital setting i started seeing peds when I left the hospital setting, which was really scary, um, I actually landed a position within a skilled nursing facility that had a pediatric unit, which was a very unique experience for me. So I was actually seeing adults and kids for the first time. And that like really, I think, solidified that I loved peds. Don't get me wrong. I do love adults. And I... I've learned so much um, working with that population, but there's just something about peds that I don't know. It just, it just feels completely different and aligned. Like that's, that's just the feeling I get. So that experience in and of itself, I think really um, shaped me in terms of the therapist that I, that I, I guess still am becoming, but it was a little bit of a shock because I went from acute care having instrumentation at my fingertips and then moving into a setting, not only instrumentation, but other disciplines, meaning like doctors, specialists, things like that. And then moving into a setting where I didn't have that readily available. I did have fees and we would get fees in as soon as we could, which was amazing. But for the peds patients, we couldn't, we didn't have that option. So we would have to send them out to the hospital. So we would have to, you know, go through that long, arduous process of getting the orders and then getting getting everything scheduled. And not only that, you know, some of these kids or most of the kids that I sent out had a trait. So that that meant that these kids had to be sent out with 
RTs. So it was a, a longer process. So that was a big, I guess, change for me in terms of kind of navigating that and figuring things out. But also, I think a big piece for me was the collaboration piece. And when I was in a hospital setting, I was collaborating with doctors, nurses, and they were physically there. And now for these kids and the specialists that they need, they weren't readily available to me. So I was like, how do, what do I do? How do I, how do I foster this, this collaborative, you know, effort? So I started looking at the schedule to see when these kids were going out to their specialists. And I would write up these long case histories (laughs) for the doctors. And with my questions, like, can I, can, can I expose this child to food just for play purposes? We're not talking about eating right now, but just exposing them. This kid is not, this kid's over a year old and this kid has not actually physically eaten anything yet, but we're getting to the point where his respiratory status is like, he's okay. His, his positioning's okay. Like I want him to explore this, but if like he puts something in his mouth, is this going to be a bad thing? So, you know, I worked closely with GI, I worked with ENT, even other speech therapists who I would have to refer out to. So whether it was for a modified or even like a scope um, to look at vocal fold movement and um, just to get those types of that input from other professions. So I think that was a little bit daunting at first because it was like starting all over again. But I really enjoyed actually looking through chart histories and putting those pieces together. I'm a big fact finder. And I found that out from my Colby assessment that that's something that's like my highest trait, I guess. And I, I've always known that, but I didn't know that there was like something that could actually like assess me for what like my, my strength is. And I think we, as, as a field, we talk about clinical swallow valves and case histories and all of these things. And I don't, I don't think we realize how important it truly is and how important it truly is to share with other professionals. I had this one experience where I actually was able to go with one of my kiddos to an ENT appointment. And I was the, I was the staff member who brought, brought them. We were transported to this appointment, but I had already written up everything and I handed it to the nurse while we were waiting in the office. And the doctor came in and said to me, that is the best case history I've ever gotten. I didn't realize you were even here because I was going to give you a call. (laughs) And that to me, like spoke volumes of, you know, we struggle so much finding like the case history that I didn't even think about it in terms of like doctors do too. It's not just the doctor writing a case history, it's everyone else. So like, I thought that was interesting and gave me like a great perspective of you know, other professionals, including a doctor, lack that information sometimes and just, I think, reiterated how important our documentation is. Yeah, I think and you nailed it to it. And I, I kind of learned that when I started doing mobile fees, I didn't realize like I would, you know, be in a room with a patient, with a family. And then like a nurse would come in and be like, oh, what are you doing? You know, I'd explain it. And they're like, oh, I didn't even know they had swallowing troubles or like, oh, I didn't, I, it just all sorts of just eye-opening things happen. And part of me, like at first I was like, you are literally the nurse caring for this patient. You didn't know this. But then on the other hand, it's like, no, we're all just so dang busy. You know, like I'm sure the nurse knows 
exactly what to do at that moment or what medications are on, you know, for, for whatever excuse or whatever, whatever reason it is. But I don't think we can give enough information. I don't think we can collaborate enough and give enough of, of a discussion to these, to these patients. Yeah. And this was like a months and months long process for the same kid. And I was reading, um, the new pediatric feeding textbook by Joan Arvidson. And I came across this paragraph and I was like, Oh my God, this, this is this, this is this child. This is this child. And then like I changed gears because, and then I went back to his case history and I, I looked through and I was pulling all this information and I'm like, they need to go CGI. They're presenting with so many signs for, for EOE. Like, and it didn't, I didn't really know about EOE until I started researching a little bit more because I had such complex cases. And that was, I think, one of the rabbit holes I fell down with, with pediatric like allergy and just GI disorders and things like that. And that's one of, one of that's the presentation that I did um, for the summit back in August about EOE because it was something that was just mind blowing to me. And I was like, how did I not know about this? How, like, where, where did this come from? Why didn't I know about this? And obviously, you know, we're not, we can't learn everything in grad school. So that's, I think, also hits on the importance of us being motivated and continuing to learn and continuing to, you know, go out and look at, look for CEUs that really align with like the populations that we're seeing. Um, Or, or if you're not within the setting or the population, that's your goal or your, or where you're at right now take the CEU anyway. You never know. Yeah. I love it, Casey. Um, all right. I want to talk a little bit about kind of your, I guess, exploration journey that you've been on it. And, and I'm trying to say this in like the most tactful way, but you know, I, I will say that, um, for those of you that are Met SLP collective members, Casey is our community manager. And when I was looking to hire people, her resume and her cover letter was just, immediately I knew that she had to work for the collective. And, and I say that only because you were very honest in it in that you, you weren't sure where you wanted to take your career. You weren't sure, you know, you didn't know exactly what you wanted to do, but you just knew that you wanted to help more people. You wanted to help clinicians and you just were, I think you had just hired a life coach or something. And, and, and I just, to me, I was like, yes, like, this is the kind of person I want to surround myself with is just someone that's on a constant journey to do better for themselves, do better for their patients and do better for the profession. So I'd love if you just kind of want to talk a little bit about the journey you've been on this year. So it's so funny that you brought up the cover letter because I actually have a quote that I wanted to read. And it's something that I I always like continue to go back on. Self-empowerment is seeking the solution rather than fixating on the problem. And that was said by coach Bobby. So I think that the big piece is changing perspective. And I, I definitely like two years ago was in a place where it's like, why is this happening to me? Like, I don't understand. I keep hitting these walls. Like I'm just trying to do the best for, for my patients and all these other things. And it's not that it's happening to you. It's happening for you. (laughs) And I would say that over the last year and a half, like I had a lot of challenges within the setting that I was in, um, whether it was personality based and, or even just from a point of view that 
I think people didn't really understand what my scope was and what I could do and, you know, what my scope was versus someone else's scope. Like I felt like the lines were really blurred. So that was something that like I really had to work through. And I think that I also, from like a confidence standpoint, that really kind of hit me hard because I kept, I felt like I was second guessing myself at that point. And it was, it was almost like I had to trust myself again. And that's, I think where I'm at right now. It's like trusting myself, like, no, you do know what you're talking about. No, you, you, you do know what your scope is. You, what you just did is, is appropriate and, you know, don't go home and lose sleep over it. Like that kind of thing. So I think that those types of experiences have kind of really catapulted me to where I am right now. And that hindsight is 2020 thing. Like in the moment, you don't realize that. But now from all of those unfavorable experiences, I know what I want and I'm not going to settle for anything less. Yeah, I love it. So something else that I like in the midst of those challenges, I think finding your people is a really big piece to it. And I have to say it, I'm going to say it was like divine intervention, but um, so I applied for the collective job around March, but I also wound up connecting with Devin Rosillo, who is a previous, has a previous episode on SYP and she is amazing. And she is all about mindset and mindset, mindset shift. So I, I really think that she has helped me um, with that piece to my puzzle and, you know, just also self-help books. I looked up all of these, <laughs> these books um, and I started reading them, you know, or listening to them back in like January. Um, and then when, when, you know, COVID hit and everything really was shut down, I, my weekends kind of focused on, on that and listening to things or just, just researching different, different types of things, you know, regarding like private practice or mindset shift or just, just things like that. Because I, one, I didn't have anything else to do at that point, but I also felt more productive and felt more, I guess, fulfilled in that sense where I felt like what I was doing wasn't, wasn't like just mindlessly watching TV, but like I was actively like trying to change my perception and, and how I felt about things. Yeah. I I think, you know, you've nailed it. I mean, that's one of the biggest things that I live by too. It's either, you know, change your perspective or change your life. You know, if you don't like the way things are going, then make a change, but some situations are difficult to change. You have to change the perspective of how you view them. And I just love that because I think, you know, just knowing you, you haven't been through some easy things this year, but I think the way you've handled them has just been beautiful. Yeah. And I, I think that fear holds us back. Um, and I feel like fear is an illusion. It's, it's, it's something that we have to kind of like bust through. And when I left my full-time job in July, I didn't necessarily have a plan mapped out yet. And it was like freeing when I finally gave my notice and, 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 you know, my last day. And I haven't looked back because I've been doing so many different things. I've been, you know, I did per diem and acute care, which is a setting that I really enjoyed. So I got, I got back into that. I'm working for the collective. I'm teaching online. So, 
and it's not a typical nine to five. And I love that. And I, I feel like I've been the happiest this year in my career than I ever have. Not to say that I didn't enjoy, you know, previous years, but it's just a different feeling. And of course, you know, this year has been the craziest um, in terms of what's going on nationally and just with COVID and everything like that. And I think that piece also has been eye-opening for me in terms of what we can do for patients. I love it. All right. So let's get kind of back into SLP, SLP land. I know we mm-hmm. kind of took a little detour, which I love. I wanted to talk about yes, that stuff. I can definitely speak a little bit more to collaboration. Um, so I know I mentioned before finding your people. Um, and I have to say within the skilled nursing setting, I collaborated very closely with the um, dietitians. You know, I, w- I went to them because most of the kids that I saw had a feeding tube. Um, and ha- they were on like an elemental formula. So it's a hypoallergenic formula that's easier on the body to break down. And, you know, there were concerns for allergies. Some of these kids had histories of neck, so necrotizing enterocolitis, which is common in babies who are born prematurely. It's, you know, premature gut. And that was something that I was very, very mindful of because with these, some of these kids, you know, can I send them for a modified barium swallow study? Is that like, you know, I need to talk to not only the RD, but also maybe the GI doctor. Like, can, can we send them for this test? Do you think there are any, any issues with that uh, based on their history, their GI history? Also, some of these kids had pretty significant episodes of vomiting daily. So like, how does that impact what we do? And also just collaborating with nurses, collaborating with respiratory therapists. We had um, respiratory therapists that I worked closely with, especially if we were trying to figure out if this kid was appropriate for a speaking valve, you know, from a respiratory standpoint. And pediatrician, like, the pediatrician would come in um, weekly and, you know, I would, I would try and touch base with, with them if I had any, any concerns about, you know, certain things like eating and drinking. And I remember there was one time where I, I did suggest that, you know, maybe we should have, get some clearance before we just, you know, let them start playing in food when they've never experienced food before. And they have this history and, they wanted me to go ahead and start. And I didn't think that that was the best thing for that kid at that time. So then I got, I I, um, had a meeting with my RDs and I'm like, all right, what's the research say about, about neck and what, maybe we should get this kid's GI. Maybe GI should clear this kid. Like, I think we need more and not being afraid to do that because you're going up against a doctor kind of situation um, and standing your ground and documenting as such. Those were really hard things for me to do sometimes because I felt like I was alone. Um, So I would say that honestly, the dietitians were very supportive for me. I love it. I mean, I'm I'm a mom of a kid with a feeding disorder too. And I just, I, I, I'm always so appreciative when people make those referrals and want more information Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just last week I went through, my son's been horribly sick and 
they referred us on to ENT at the children's hospital and, you know, she referred us on to somebody else, but everything led to, to new answers and finding out new information and, you know, don't ever be afraid to, to do that. I think, you know, I'm not sure why sometimes we feel like we should know all the answers. You know, I think, you know, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know why that's a rhetoric that we have, but mm-hmm. not, you know, not that it's harmful, but it can be just so much more helpful for everybody involved when we get other professionals opinions involved as well. Yeah. And I think, well, and I think we could, we could go back to the, um, PFD, they finally came to a consensus for a definition. And it's impaired oral intake that is not age appropriate and is associated with medical, nutritional, feeding skill and or psychological dysfunction. So we're one piece of that puzzle, we need to have all those other pieces. And that's why we need to collaborate with other professionals. You know, if, if it's truly a medical issue, all of the therapy in the world is not going to help. We need to, to nail down that medical issue. And that's why it's so important. I think, you know, going back to that chart review piece, like picking up maybe missed puzzle pieces that others didn't see, you know, at the time, because maybe they weren't all present at the time. And that's why I think it's really important for me to make sure I have all of that information. And I, I encourage everyone to reach out. So if you're like not within a hospital setting, um, I know it, it's harder to get documentation, but it's not impossible. Make friends with the secretary to the speech department if you have to. I called uh, a local hospital speech department all the time for stuff and they would always fax me things. Get to know the speech therapist in acute care. When I had adults go out to um, the hospital that happened a lot more frequently than it did the kids. So I would touch base with the hospital SLPs. Hey, I, I have a, a patient coming in. Can you, you know, can you make sure that you, you know, get an order for them if you haven't already? I think they're going to, you know, whether it, whether it was like a really big neurological change or, or whatnot, but collaborating with other SLPs is also something that's really important for our profession because, you know, we don't do everything. You know, when I had a kid go out for, because he needed a scope, I connected with that speech therapist before and said, hey, this is what's going on. They're demonstrating X, Y, and Z. I just want to make sure that, that they're, you know, protecting their airway. You know, they have, um, they're, they're very noisy breathers. Like, I, I want to see what's going on with their airway. Do you think maybe we should refer them back to ENT after? Open lines of communication people can't read our minds. You know, we really need to communicate. That's part of our job. Yeah. I, I love that. And th- something that happened with my son last week, that we were seeing this new PT that also had, we were working with this other PT, but they're working on different things. And I had asked them, I said, can, can you please communicate with this woman? Because I think you would learn a lot from her and she would learn a lot from you in how you guys are both working with my son, but on different things. And, you know, neither of them hesitated to call and they both were like, oh yeah, of course. And then when I spoke with both of them later, they're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that he could do this, 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 and this. And she said the same thing. Oh my gosh, I didn't know he was capable of this and this, or that we shouldn't do this. And it's like, yes, that's why I wanted you guys to communicate. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I just wish we would do that more. <laughs> yeah. It sounds so easy. Um, but I, I do understand it is harder and you know, it is, you're building relationships 
with other professionals and that does take time. But think about it. If you put in the time now, how, how that would serve all of your patients in the future. Yeah, exactly. All right. What else? I think something else that I want to hit home about is investing in yourself, whether it's CEUs or um, even like a life coach or a master, like doing a mastermind, just being open to different things can really open doors for you and change your perspective, which is, I think like helped me just from like a mental health standpoint Um, that has like completely changed how I feel about not only myself, but I feel like I have less anxiety. (laughs) I feel like, you know, I'm not letting things bother me that I would literally like go home and just replay in my mind over and over and over again. Um, I think that, you know, if you can give yourself that gift of opening, like opening that door and opening your mind to different things and, and working on changing perception that I think creativity will also flow because you're making space for other things because you're not worrying about what you normally would worry about. Yeah. I think there's just so much to learn from other people too, that I think on a, on a surface level, on a superficial level, it's hard, you know? And I think once, once you get to know people, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously a huge fan of masterminds and group coaching programs and things like that, but I just learned so much from other people about obstacles that they've overcome or, you know, how they got through something or how they, you know, decided something wasn't for them and they pivoted. And I always, I just learned so much from other people's experiences that, you know, you just don't get on, like I said, just on a surface level. So it's, it's, it's nice. It's comforting to know that other people have been in your shoes and they've overcome situations. And, you know, we really, a lot of us have been through the same stuff. It's just people don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And I think one of like the big things that I watched and it it was probably back in like April, I watched Brene Brown's talk on vulnerability and I was like, oh my God, no one wants to be vulnerable. Like that is like something that I don't, I don't like to, you know, emote that, like that I feel vulnerable. Um, And, you know, just coming on a podcast and talking about things that I've gone through this past year, like I've. I pushed myself to do that because I had to, I feel like that was part of like my process, like just to show that, you know, I know I'm not the only one who went through this, but maybe what I say here will resonate with someone else. And whether that means they reach out to me and say, thank you for doing that or think that I don't either way I can help someone else. Yeah. Completely. Well, this was great, Casey. Thank you so, so much. I loved it. It's such a, such a good topic about so many things that, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk about. And I love it. Um, Casey, or yeah, Casey also put together an awesome set of resources on all things kind of personal development and pediatric feeding disorders too. So this will all be in the show notes for everybody. So thank you so much, my friend. Thank you for having me. Any final thoughts? If you're scared, that means you're going in the right direction. Yeah. Good. Awesome. I love it. All right. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. To download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes. 
and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Special credit to Danny V. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills and to Marissa Hendrickson for managing all the things behind the scenes. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.